it is that time for Riasis. We have Kathy Lores here in the studio, and I'm Rob Rourke. And what do we got coming up tonight on Riasis? So we're going to have uh, Emmy Aguilar, Emily Aguilar. She's going to be here with us uh, telling us a little bit about the Indigenous uh, Cultures Institute. And so uh, we're going to get a call from her uh, here shortly. But um, I wanted to tell you, I went down to the... Um, Juneteenth celebration on uh, last Saturday, and oh, geez, it was such a hot day. <laughs> it, it, it was extremely hot, but um, they had a couple of um, uh, cooks out there who did really well, about three or four teams who just kind of swept all the categories. So, but, but it was a nice time. It was a good event, and um, unfortunately, you know, we're, uh, we're kind of seeing a lot of the events here in town like that. They're not drawing a lot of uh, a lot of people, so you know those are things that we probably have to work on to to see about getting. I, I wonder why. I mean, you know, yes, it's hot, but you know, it's always been hot on Juneteenth. I mean, that t- it hasn't changed. And I, I don't know if they're you know people are just more engaged in, in other activities or um, the gentrification of Dunbar you know, c- could could be a part of part of it too. You know, we're not seeing as many of the um uh, blacks in the community come out to to support the event so i don't know that's something that that uh it's interesting and i think i'd probably gonna try to devil a little bit into that a little bit more to see you know uh, what the reason is but uh, yeah Yeah. we'll we'll hope hope that david um, makes it uh you know uh continues the event and continues to push forward and maybe make it a little bit you know better for the more foreseeable future and, you know, and then we look at how do we get, you know, all of the, you know, as San Marcos grows, as we get bigger, you know, as we expand out, you know, across the uh, uh, I-35, you know, how, uh, you know, how do we continue to get people engaged and to grow and to, you know, bring them in and, and I guess that's always the challenge, and and I hate to hear that about. Well, well, I think location has a lot to do with that, so that's probably something that we'll need to discuss at a later date. Yeah. Do you think maybe having a bigger venue, more parking? I I think so. I I think so. Um, You know, and of course, there's that big push to try to get something here, and you know, in the county, uh, for such events like that. But you know, I you know, I don't know financially what you know where they are with that. Well, I mean, you know, we we used to have the uh, county you know, fairgrounds over here and, uh, uh, you know, that we had for the Chile Impiad, mm-hmm. you know, for many years. Uh, but, you know, now that has been, you know, pretty much defunct and we've, you know, uh, pretty much let that go. Uh, you know, where do we have these events? Where do we try to do this? And where do we try to, you know, get people to go? And I think also with all the rules and regulations now that the city has to follow, mm. I think that that could be another factor, but um, it'll be interesting to dissect that one. So, but anyway, so yeah, we'll have we'll have um, Emmy calls here in a bit, and then we'll go ahead and, and discuss the issues that. So uh, she that is from been. what? Uh, the Indigenous uh, Cultural Institute. Okay. And that Dr. Mario Garza and Maria Rocha. And now they have retired. We're having a changeover, and we'll talk a little bit more with Emmy on that in just a minute. And uh, what do we got coming up next week? Uh, I don't have anything for the show yet. I'm working on two musical uh, uh, events, so we'll see. Uh, it's going to be one or the other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, and then, 
Uh, just as a uh, programming note, I will not be here on the ninth. Uh, uh, Was it on the tenth? Okay. okay, so I mean, I can have someone come in, and okay. we'll we'll talk about that a little later. Okay, awesome. if need be. Um, so uh, we got uh, Kathy Lauren Rob Rourke here with you, and uh, uh, on uh, Raisis, and uh, uh, got a lot of stuff coming up. But uh, waiting for a phone call here should be in just a minute. And uh, we'll yeah, and I hope uh, you know she's uh, going to give us some information about the sac- Sacred Springs powwow that happens here every year at the city. So I'm I'm really interested in in. Um, Having her tell us about the dates and you know what the planned activities are for that for that time. Okay, real good. And um, I uh, spoke with a, a new uh, with a gentleman uh, last night uh, who is uh, looking at coming in on Thursdays and uh, doing a uh, uh, Hispanic DJ. Uh, doing some uh, music and uh, talking about uh, what's going on in the Hispanic music scene uh, on the uh, you know on the younger level. You know, on things, and uh, that's going to be on uh, starting up on uh, Thursdays here, uh, sometime next month or so. So, is it somebody local? Or? Somebody local, yeah. Awesome. And uh, so, uh, we'll have a little bit more. I, I just talked with them last night. Got to get that uh, started up. But uh, looking forward to that one on Thursday nights. It's going to be from uh, uh, six until eight o'clock. Yeah, mm. that that that'll be. Um, I think a good show. The Tejano music industry has changed quite a bit. Um, you saw it taken off uh, probably ar- around the late 80s. Into uh, the 90s yeah, and yeah, with Selena in the yeah. 90s. And, and Emilio yeah. and then all of oh, a sudden yeah. it kind of kind of took a little downturn. But it, it seems like they're picking back up and um, it'll be interesting to see where Tahana Music goes next. Yeah, so looking forward to, to having them here on uh, with us as well. Let's see here. Uh, waiting for that phone call, so I didn't want to get too deep into some things here. But um, let's see here. You know, I just got about. She's got another minute or two, <laughs> so I, I guess we start that one a little bit later. Um, but you know, the purpose of the show is to give you the stories of the community from different perspectives. All right, and it's you know we want to. You know, it is talking about those stories, and uh, you know, we were talking about the legacy, uh, and continuing those stories. And I and I think uh, maybe some of the li- listeners that we have may be um, wondering how does this tie in to you know what we're talking about uh, as far as uh, remembering uh, the people that have been here and the history, but but a lot of us come from indigenous roots and we don't know it. Hello, you are live on the air on KCSM. This is Rob Orton, Kathy Laura, and uh, do I have uh, Emmy uh, Aguilar on the phone with me? Yes, hi, hello, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for calling in, and uh, we're going to, if Kathy, if uh, Emmy doesn't hear your question, I may have to translate a little bit here. Sometimes we have a little problems on the phones, but as long as she is hearing us uh, good right now, and Emmy, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. So I am a queer, two-spirit, Gualatecan arts educator. I'm the uh, culture and communications bilam, which means I'm the person in charge of uh, communicating with the public for the Indigenous Cultures Institute. And I also work, my full-time job currently is as the assistant director of pop culture and media at Illuminative, which is a Native women-led nonprofit. All right. And... uh 
Kathy had also wanted to know about uh, what's your family background? Uh, how did you become interested in the Institute and involved there? Yeah, so on my father's side, I'm indigenous, Guauatecan. My father was born in Mexico and adopted into the U.S. And on my mother's side, I'm white. She was raised in central New York in the Syracuse area, uh, Cugalands. And so I've spent time growing up both in the southwest and in New York. I, I was telling Rob um, right before you called in that um, a lot of people were probably wondering uh, how we got the Institute involved in the radio show because the premise of the show was to talk about um, uh, people in the city of San Marcos, those that have come and built, and the histories. But I was telling him that a lot of people don't realize that they do have and you know indigenous ancestry, uh, uh, you know coming from um, the his the Hispanic realm, whether you're um, sp you know Spaniards that came to you know to uh, Mexico during the the conquest, or if uh, you had an ancestor who married into an indigenous background, and normally when you have that. That indigenous side usually, you know, tends tends to play a minor role and go away, but now a lot of us are finding out that we do have indigenous ancestry, and so I think that's, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I invited you here so that we can kind of tie all that in together. And uh, so, how long have you been with the institute? Did you say? Since 2012. 2012. Wow, you've been with them for quite a long time. So yeah, uh, tell us. Um, where the Institute is located. I know you used to be over on Lee Street, but you guys are no longer in that building, is that correct? We actually have never had a building. We've always been a remote organization, and um, predominantly the Garzas, Dr. Mario Garza and Maria Rocha have operated out of their home, and they're the founders um, of the organization. And so they've just stepped down in 2022 and transferred leadership so, um, you know, we are dispersed throughout the Central Texas area, the leadership circle is, but the staff are actually throughout the country. So we're a remote organization. Okay, so do you, you guys, uh, are you guys planning on, on having um, at sometime in the future a, a building or do you plan to stay remote? No, we actually um, applied for parks and open spaces funding from Hayes County. And so our application was recommended as a high priority project from that um, panel that reviewed those applications. And so we're just in the phase of waiting to hear from the county whether or not we were awarded the funding that we applied for. And if so, we would then be able to begin the process of acquiring land that the city of San Marcos is um, prepared to provide because it would be a cultural center um, that would be, you know, in service of the city. And then we would also be able to protect that land from development. So, you know, that's something that we're just in the waiting game on and really hoping that that funding comes through. That's exciting because, uh, you know, that's something that uh, with the funding through the Hayes County, um, that'll allow you to, to have a permanent place and a, a place that uh, for education for uh, people as well and for the youth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to get back to what Kathy was saying earlier, you know, a lot of people in San Marcos do have indigenous heritage. And, you know, this is their cultures to be able to know about and to be able to learn about. And 
celebrate, right? And so this is, would be a space for everybody in the community, even non-Indigenous people, to learn and to grow and to be able to connect to the place that they live. So do you uh, have an idea how long it'll t how long it'll take you from the time, say, say the city um, does approve and you do get the funding, how long do you think it'll take you to get, uh, you know, the land purchase? And then, of, of course, I guess you're going to have to hire architects and, uh, you know, get the funding for the, the building. How, what type of time frame are you looking at uh, to start your project from the beginning to the end? Yeah, well, we're already two years in. The idea came to us in 2020, and then we formally applied for that funding in 2021. And so, you know, we've just been waiting for about a year to hear. Um, you know, these processes take time. But then if we were awarded that funding, the hope would be that we would be able to complete the project in about three to four years. So, you know, that's our that's our hope. Um, the city, you know, committed to providing that land. And so we would not own the land. It would be city land and um, a city building. And so, you know, it would be publicly accessible in that way. And, you know, community groups could rent the space and, you know, it would be really a community space. Okay, that, that that's that's interesting because I think a lot of people would probably, you know, ask about how, how that would work. And so I think you probably answer just the fundamental question that a lot of people would have. So I think that's really good. You are you guys are a five hundred one C? Is that correct? Or yes, yep. And and you do take uh, donations uh, to uh, your foundation. So if you want to give us that information, if you have that available, uh, let us know. Yeah, we always accept donations. Our website is indigenouscultures.org. And as soon as you get to that website, there's a donate button right on the homepage. Mm -hmm. All of the donations support our programs. And, you know, the staff is all part-time staff. Um, we all have, you know, day jobs. And then all of our work for the Indigenous Cultures Institute is on the side. So, you know, our hope is that by the time that we would be able to have a full-time building, you know, we could move toward being full-time staff. So. You know that's the hope there and you know also provide jobs for people in town as well so now most people know of uh, the indigenous cultures institute through the sacred springs powwow that you have each year right mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, so it's a big tell everybody i guess about that but then i want to swing back and go into some of the other things that you all are doing because that's how people pretty much know but there's all of these other things that you're bringing to the community and i really am excited again that once you finally find this home and uh, through the city and the county that you'll be able to expand on that that it's more than just doing the powwow every year yeah, so our powwow this year is October 1st and 2nd, and folks can find tickets for that at sspowwow.com. And, um, you know, it's also on our indigenouscultures.org website. But, yeah, that is a huge event that happens every year right at the Sacred Springs, what we call the Sacred Springs, but people largely know as Ocarina Springs or Spring Lake. Um, Spring Lake is the home of our sacred site, right? It's where we believe our creation story originates. And so um, that's why we hold our powwow there. You know, the powwow is a huge community event and brings Native peoples from all over the U.S. and Mexico as well. 
the theme of the powwow is uniting eagle and condor so that means like uniting the north and the south and we really try to bridge you know the divide that that border creates um so we bring you know the aztec dancers from the south and we also bring the powwow dancers from the north and so it's really you know bringing everyone together and that's the point of a powwow right is to come together to dance together to celebrate together you know celebrating the artistry the dance the prayers right and and it's a public event and everybody is welcome to come and it's a really great time i mean it's two days so there's two full opportunities to join and each year we bring thousands of people in so it's a really big event for san marcos and what what what's the time on on the start and finish that's a good question. So do you usually start early in the morning? Yeah, we usually start around noon, but let me double check this year. This is our first year back in person after two years of having a virtual powwow. So yeah. we're excited to finally be back in person. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I did want to bring that up that, you know, you all had had the, the virtual powwow just as everyone, you know, we're trying to get back after COVID and get back into the swing of things. Yeah, and, you know, it's been hard. Like, nationally, people have been having the powwows virtually, but it just isn't the same if you can't come together and, you know, celebrate and, you know, watch the dances or dance if you are a powwow dancer and just see all of the beauty that's taking place and connect with people. So it's just, it's good to finally be able to come together. Um, but to get back to your question about time, it's 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. There you go. Well, it's very difficult because one of the, I think one of the most important things about powwows is bringing the youth and the elders together. And, you know, I think that's important in any of the cultures uh, is that, uh, you know, that sharing and that is very difficult to do uh, remotely or over a, uh, a just, you know, a virtual uh, situation. Yeah, and also, you know, powwows are one of the ways that a lot of people sustain their living for the year, right? Mm -hmm. So people participate on the powwow circuit, young people and elders. So without having those in-person powwows, that's really cutting into people's livelihood. You know, the dancers, the artists, the vendors, and so people really depend on that income. And so we're really hoping that people will show up this year and celebrate having our first in-person powwow in two years. Uh, I understand that the center uh, offers a youth program. Do you want to tell us about the the youth program? Yeah, so we have the um, Summer Encounter. So that's a program where young people go on a week-long ceremonial experience. It's for Hispanic or indigenous youth. Um, you know, we say that a lot of the young people in San Marcos that are labeled Hispanic are actually indigenous and have been um, you know, disconnected from their heritage. And so the point of that summer encounter is to take them on a week-long experience where they can reconnect to their heritage. So they're learning about indigenous arts, they're learning about indigenous identities through the arts. So they'll, you know, participate in learning song, learning flute, learning drum, learning dance, learning art-making activities. All of the instructors are indigenous instructors who have led their craft for many years, so they're all experts. And so, you know, there, there's also that bringing together of elders and young people, where there's also the youth leadership component, because many of these young people come back year after year. So each year they progress into 
a different stage of the summer encounter, whether it be like um, kind of like an internship, right? So they're leading other young people and their families are a part of it too. Their families come and witness and they go on the encounter with them. There's like a pilgrimage to the sacred springs and they learn about the creation story. And so it's a really powerful experience. And um, one of our uh, board members, Roxanne Fruder Arce, has actually done research on the impact of this summer encounter on the youth. And what was found was that after just one week of being in the program, a significant number of young people are willing to identify and like claim that they are indigenous, whereas before they were not claiming that identity. And so that's really powerful. So your your summer encounter camp, where's that held at and what's the cost for that? It's free for San Marcos ISD students and it is at the Guatemala Hall, which is on um, Hayes, uh, uh, what road is that? Patton yeah. Street, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Patton okay. Street. And uh, how can people get uh, signed up? How do they, uh, what's the uh, deadline? Yeah, um, the pa- the uh, summer encounter is actually kicking off tomorrow. <laughs> so it's starting tomorrow. Um, they can enroll on the website or they can show up tomorrow morning if they're wanting to get their young person involved. It starts at 8 a.m. So, um, you know, that's really exciting. It's uh, The sign-up is on our website, indigenouscultures.org. And again, it's free for, for students in San Marcos. Oh, well, that's wonderful. So uh, at this camp, how many, uh, what's the average uh, amount of children that come to the camp? Typically about 30 young people. Mm-hmm. So they get a lot of one-on-one and, and small group, um, you know, really strong bonding and um, they build strong relationships. And, you know, it's not one of these massive camps where they're kind of like a number, right? Mm-hmm. They actually are... Um, building really good relationships, both with one another, but also with the instructors. So it's really powerful. And, you know, the kids are going to take away, you know, it's going to be, it's a week long, correct? Yes. And, you know, when they when they walk away from this, what goals do you have for them? Yeah, one of the goals is that they feel more connected to their heritage, whatever that may be, right? Um, as I said, many of these young people are indigenous, and so we're hoping that they will reclaim that. That's the biggest goal, that they will feel empowered to claim what society has taught them that they cannot. So that's the biggest goal. But another goal is to be able to build that connection with the water. Mm -hmm. Um, As I said, part of the encounter is building that relationship with the sacred springs and understanding that creation story. And so if the young people can leave the summer camp with a really connected and rooted relationship with water and understanding that water is life and water is powerful and we should respect water especially in a place like san marcos right where we have an abundance of water and beautiful waters that have been there for millennia right and so if they can build that relationship that's part of it too well it it, it's interesting because i had a uh, eighth grader uh, talking to me earlier today and uh, she was asking me she about, uh, she said, they're going to be building something up on the aquifer. And, you know, it's got something to do with movies. But she didn't quite know about it. And I got to talk to her about, yes, that is up on, uh, you know, goes down into Purgatory Creek. You know, this is an area that floods. Uh, this is why these people were concerned. We were talking about the... Uh, 
um, impervious cover. But I just thought that you know it was so good that here was an eighth grader that was asking about these things that wanted to know more and. So you are reaching out to these kids at an age when they really want to know more, and I, I, I applaud you for that. Yeah, and that's part of the goal of the Institute, right? Our mission is to preserve the cultures of Native peoples to, to Texas and Northern Mexico, and also maintaining our covenant with sacred sites. So one of our sacred sites is the water, right? So the way that, you know, if you're a Christian, you might think about a church, we think about Spring Lake in the same way, right, with the same reverence. So that's the kind of relationship we're trying to build with these young people in the water. I I went to, uh, my daughter was a, a Girl Scout, and I went to a camp that LCRA did, oh, I don't know, she's 10, 15 years ago. And at that, at that camp, they were talking about, uh, to these young Girl Scouts and telling them how important it, it was as Girl Scouts, who could potentially go out and become the next leaders, how important it was for them to understand what it was that the, the springs meant here, here in San Marcos. And they said that by the time the, the water flow got to Gonzales, that it was already uh, contaminated, it was already considered unclean. And so I, I, I think that, you know, when you talk to a group of children like that, if that sticks, can you just imagine um, the impact that uh, having somebody over at the Institute talk to her, young children like that, what that can do to, you know, for somebody to say, hey, you know what, we need to protect these things because we depend on our city leaders to do that. And a lot of times they, they fail us in those things. And so it's interesting um, to see what leaders will come out of this program and and the care that they'll put into taking care of the springs. Yeah, and that's really the model, right, is we're thinking generationally. So when we're thinking about what is the impact we're going to have, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about many generations ahead. Mm -hmm. And so we're also teaching the young people to think that way, right? Like, not how are you leaving this earth for your children, but how are you leaving this earth for your great, great, great grandchildren, right? That's how far ahead we have to be thinking when we're mm -hmm. making choices. And so, you know, it's powerful and the young people get it. And it's not just about like talking to them, but showing them and helping them to build that relationship. If they can be with the water and they can see the water and they can hear the story of how the water came to be, how we came to be from the water, then they're gonna have that reverence in a different way. Mm -hmm. Well, Amy, if uh, you've got a few more minutes, uh, I'm gonna take a quick station ID break and we'll come on back and uh, we wanna to talk to you about a couple other things. I know uh, one of the things we'd, uh, uh, effort being made to recover some remains that were being held by the University of Texas that you wanted to talk about and a few other things. So uh, if you have a few more minutes and you can hang on, we're going to uh, take a quick station ID break and we'll be right back with you, okay? Sounds good. This is KZSM.org, True Community Radio, and this is Raises, uh, your uh, show to find out about the stories that matter here in San Marcos, Texas, and uh, Hayes County. KCSM.org, we'll be right back with you. New for 2022 is the monthly series, The Personhood Project, made possible by a grant from the San Marcos Art Commission. At its core, okay. The Personhood Project is a poetry yep, exchange that looks to connect incarcerated writers to the larger poetry community. 
Writings from the project culminate into this series, which explores poetry's ability to provide the tools necessary to process trauma, lead toward personal growth, and help reduce recidivism in the carceral system. Tune in to The Personhood Project the last Sunday of each month at 4 p.m. for conversations with poets about these subjects and so much more. Hi, this is Paul Wilson, host of Philosophy and Popular Music on KZSM.org, your true community radio in San Marcos, Texas. This is our second season of Philosophy and Popular Music, and we're on at a new day and time, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Sundays, right here on kzsm.org. Wow, that's been one take. That was impressive. Our connections make powerful things happen, uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. With over 1 million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Around the world, generations of leaders build new friendships and solve problems, turning great ideas into reality. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org. La familia Mendoza empezar el día oyendo esto es algo habitual. Por suerte. Ir al bosque y terminar el día escuchando esto otro. Es posible. Ese respiro que tu familia necesita está a menos de 90 minutos. El bosque, más cerca de lo que crees. Entra en descubreelbosque.org y descubre el bosque más cercano. Un mensaje del Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council. And we're back with you here uh, in the studio and... Uh, We've got uh, uh, Kathy Lar is here with me in the studio, and we've got on the phone Emmy Aguilar from the uh, Indigenous Cultures Institute. And there we go. Uh, so, uh, Emmy, thank you for staying with us. And Kathy, we wanted to ask about, I'd, I'd kind of prefaced it there, about the uh, uh, remains. Yeah, um, I had read in the newspaper that, is it the University of Texas? Yes, uh, is holding uh, some remains, and and um, you all are trying to have them release uh, right. the remains to you. So how's that coming along? So UT Austin currently has over two thousand four hundred of our ancestors in cardboard boxes at the JJ Pickle Research Campus. So currently, um, they are you know those ancestors um, you know they were they were dug up from the ground and now they are being held there so were they dug up here in Texas from Central Texas from the area yes that's yep. 2400 Wow yeah so and this is not uncommon right Harvard has over 7,000 um, native remains that belong to many different tribes that they are supposed to repatriate so you know, there's a Native American Graves and Repatriation Act, which is federal law, which states that any federal institution that comes across Native remains is required to, in good faith, return those to the tribe that they come from or that they're believed to be associated with. 
So how and did they how did they acquire all these? I'm really curious. I mean, was this from like uh, the building sites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it building roads or was this? Uh, you know, from past, uh, you know, archaeological digs? Yeah, so all of the above. So whenever there's um, development right and some of the earth is unsettled, there is usually some kind of remains found more often than not. And so then they have to cease, you know, building and development. They have to bring in archaeologists. The archaeologists then, um, you know, exhume the, the remains and then they take them to labs and they're studied and then they're, um, categorized like as if they're in a library, right? And so they're they're categorized like objects, and um, any you know any funerary remains that are with them are categorized as well. So and so how, how do they how do they know um, that they that there are remains of of an indigenous uh, peoples? Do they do DNA testing on, them or is it just the location that they're found in, or? Um, it's multiple multiple things. It's location. It is a specific kind of, it's not called DNA testing, but it's a specific lab testing that can tell the kind of, um, like a know, genetic human, markers? Or? Exactly, genetic markers. Okay. And um, also the age. So, you know, many of the remains are over a thousand years old. Well, there was only native peoples here mm-hmm. a thousand years ago. So right. that's just a process of elimination. Um, so yeah, UT, uh, we requested three remains from them, and we made that request in 2016. Wow. Um, we're still waiting for those three ancestors. We're just asking for three out of 2,400, and um, so they've still not honored that request, and we're just hopeful that eventually they will. So um, do you, what do you think it's going to take to get UT to release those? It's just a... Uh, the public's interest, lobbying from the general public? What, what do you think it'll take? I think that the entire NAGPRA federal law needs to be revised because right now, you know, it's federal law that they have to return those remains, but many of these institutions are not doing that. And then when they don't do that, nobody enforces it. So there needs to be some kind of process to where there's some kind of enforcement and there's a timeline so they need to return them by when, right? If there's no timeline, mm-hmm. then they can take 50 years to return the remains, right? So, they need to have some kind of good faith timeline installed. So is that something that you have to lobby, say, a, a, a senator or a state rep to... That, to- would, be, um, that would be the Department of the Interior. That's a oh. you know, federal level. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure how those laws are created but it would it would be somebody in in that area that would need to yeah it's it's your your congressmen your senators all of the above uh basically is it but uh also though see the other side of this is that if ut is the one holding on to this then you at the state level you also have uh the board of regents for ut and uh they answer to the uh uh, legislature. So, you know, yes, it's also uh, at your local level, too, uh, your your state senators and your state uh, representatives. Yeah, and I think that just not a lot of people know about the issue either, right? Like, when I was teaching young people about repatriation and about how our, young, our ancestors are being held, you know, young people understand it. Because if you say, you know, imagine that people go into your 
family's cemetery and they dig up your family after they've been laid to rest. How do you feel about that, mm -hmm. right? And young people understand that that is not okay. But for some reason, when it comes to Native American remains, we're treated as objects. And I think that that's an extension of how we're treated in real life in society. We're considered, you know, animals almost. Like we are the only people who our humanity is measured by blood quantum, right? Who else is measured by blood quantum? Dogs and horses. So it just goes to show you the way that we're viewed in society. So I want to pivot to one other question that Kathy had here in our notes was, uh, uh, how, when people come to you asking about whether they have indigenous ancestry or not, how do you lead, you know, because that's going to be part of the question of the kids at this youth camp, but, you know, anyone that, that's kind of interested in their ancestry, how do they, how do they figure this out? So one teaching that Dr. Garza, um, you know, tells the young people is when you hold a mirror up to yourself, what color is your skin? Is your skin brown? Is your skin white? What color is your skin? And if you are somebody that calls yourself Hispanic and your skin is brown, well then where do you think the brown comes from? Like where would that have come from, right? Because Spaniards are white, they're European. So if you have brown skin, you are not Spanish. You might have Spanish ancestry, but you also have indigenous ancestry. And that's how he teaches the young people, right? It's a very like uh, thoughtful way and you know, based on what you can see, right? It's very rooted in that way. Um, but in terms of ancestry, a lot of people wanna know exactly what tribe they come from and we get a lot of questions about that and that's not something that we can answer right but we always suggest that people look at their family tree look at where your family comes from right trace back where your family comes from if you know and if you don't know just to do your best to live your life in a good way in the teachings that you feel like most honor your family and your lineage yeah it, it's uh, uh, I find it interesting that you you say that dr. Garza teaches teaches it that way because for my for myself, I remember looking at um, my grandmother and my grandfather and the photos that they were in, and my grandmother was just extremely, extremely light-complected, but her ancestry is this Spanish-Portuguese, you know, going all the way back to, you know, a thousand years that, that it's documented. But my grandfather, his skin complexion, I could tell by looking at him that they were not of the same. And so um, as I started that l look for my father's ancest ancestors, I found him in Mexico in the state of uh, Zacatecas. And they're mm -hmm. in the, because, you know, the Spanish were meticulous record keepers. Yeah. They're in 1780 in his uh, birth, his birth announcement. And it says the name of his mother and his father and his grandparents. And on the little side note, it said Indio. So mm -hmm. now I know, you know, that in fact, my, my grandfather comes from an indigenous line. And so yeah. I think that's very telling, you know, you can tell by the color of your skin. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the DNA thing. And I know that they can't tell you, they can't pinpoint what, what tribe you come from, but they can tell you a specific area. And then from there, you can kind of say, and, and if you can't find yourself in any written record, then more than likely you are 
uh, of you know the indigenous uh, group that that inhabited the North American continent before the Europeans got here. Yeah, and I would be hesitant about the DNA testing just because people um, people can self-identify as native and then take the DNA test as like the subsample. So then they're basing it off how people are self-identifying, right? So the DNA tests are like a little tricky, mm -hmm. but I would more so base it off of your family lineage, like your family tree, and what is what can be seen and what can be recorded, right, in that way. Um, I think that is a little bit better than like a blood test. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to ask you this question because you had mentioned uh, that you all were working with the city of San Marcos. And a lot of us know that sometimes the bu bureaucracy there is not all that great. And you don't always, um, I guess, Rob, how do I say this? Because, you, you know, um, some are a little jaded with working with the city of San Marcos. So, you know, there's some concern that, uh, you know, hopefully all this works out well for you. I think something along that line, Kathy. Well, I, I guess I guess the question that I want to ask, because it sounds like she's having a very or they're having a very good um, um, working relationship with the city. Right. I, I, I'm going to gather that. Is that correct, that your, your working relationship with the city is, is good? Yeah, well, I would also just say that, you know, Dr. Garza and Maria have been building that relationship for many decades, and so that's why it's a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. So um, I guess my question is, here in, in, uh, in the city of San Marcos, did you also have uh, uh, an issue, or I guess I'm not going to call it an issue, a um, some indigenous uh, bones that were found here in the city, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, many times over, we actually have uh, repatriation grounds um, near Spring Lake, near the Sacred Springs, where we rebury um, our ancestors that have been returned to us. And so some of those have come from, um, you know, digs that have happened throughout the city. And, um, you know, uh, Texas State, we have a really good relationship mm -hmm. with Texas State. And when they've come across remains, they return them to us. And so that's been a really good relationship like they you know they understand how that needs to go they understand like they need to return those remains and there's not been an issue right mm -hmm. it's right, a I, very I, different relationship than our relationship with ut right. i know one of the uh when we had the wonder world uh uh overpass uh that uh through uh, texas state the the group there and that there were some remains that were found and that were repatriated but they tried to keep that quiet because one of the things was that you have problems when uh they those are found they had to fence them and then there was problems of people coming in and trying to uh, uh others that were not interested in that trying to find uh pottery and things like that well, and I think yeah, it's hard so to, because sometimes when you have those building, uh, somebody's building and they come across that, they don't want to say because it will shut down their, their project and they'd rather not say, and they don't do the right thing. Right. Right, and unfortunately there's a market for our remains. There's a market um, to buy and sell Native American remains, mm -hmm. which is very disrespectful. And um, so that's one of the other reasons why it has to be kept, you know, just to the parties that need to know because um, people will go poach remains from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wherever they believe them to be. 
Yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that out to people because it is, it's sad, but that is the case that so many of these things have to be kept very quiet, very, uh, for, for those reasons and uh, uh, for the respect for your ancestors. And uh, uh, I'm glad you have a good working relationship in the Texas state and the city uh, through some of the projects. And, and those are just one of the ones that I know of uh, uh, through uh, just from the side uh, been good. So how, how many um, how many remains have been buried there uh, at the sacred sacred springs now? Mm, I think there's about seven there now. That's good. Yeah, that yeah. that's fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear, as Rob said, that you do have a good working relationship uh, and and things are going really well. Um, I mm -hmm. uh, give us a little bit more information about the other programs that the. Uh, Institute has? Yeah, so we are coming out with a Kualatek and language program. We're actually going to have a pilot workshop at our powwow in October. So um, folks can sign up for, um, you know, more information on our website and stay in touch that way. Um, but yeah, we're trying to revitalize our language right now. Our language, all we have of it is a dictionary. We have our songs, our sacred songs that we sing, you know, in prayer. Um, and you know we have some some words and phrases that we use but pretty much the language was stolen from us right um intentionally and spanish was introduced and then english so um we're really trying to bring it back and you know native languages across turtle island are being revived and so we definitely encourage people to learn and to support and to su to support native people learning their own languages right um and to have access to that. So people can get more information at our website, which is indigenouscultures.org. And if people want to volunteer, they want to help out with the Sacred Springs, uh, Springs powwow, or if they want to volunteer and get involved, how can they do that? Yes, sign up to volunteer on our website. We definitely need powwow volunteers. Um, you know, every year that we have our powwow, it only happens because of our volunteers. We truly could not do it without our volunteers. So the website is sspowwow.com. And again, the dates for the powwow are October 1st and 2nd. And you can uh, volunteer individually. You can volunteer as part of a group. So, you know, we feed our volunteers. So we definitely encourage anyone who plans to come to the powwow anyway to volunteer. All right. Well, Kathy, do do we have anything else for Amy yeah, here? I, I think that's pretty much it. Is there is there any other program that that you want to discuss before we cut off? Um, I think the last thing I would say is we have our speakers and performers, and so if anybody is interested in booking any speakers or performers on any of the issues that we've talked about, they can do so on our website. We have a broad range of folks that hold a lot of knowledge, you know, plant knowledge and just various different things. So. Um, again, they can find that on our website. And we have uh, speaking rooms at the uh, City of uh, San Marcos Library that are open. You know, if you want to try to have a speaker come in and to get folks in, uh, we encourage that. That would be a great way to do it. Amy, thank you very much for uh, taking your time on this Sunday afternoon. And uh, Kathy, thank you for getting in touch with uh, uh, Emily Aguilar uh, from the Indigenous Cultures Institute. Thank you very much for uh, spending the time with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And uh, you have a wonderful night. And uh, uh, feel free to uh, call back as we get closer to the uh, 
uh, Sacred Springs powwow and to uh, give us updates and uh, you know if we need any uh, to round you up some volunteers let's get the word out there okay thank you so much we appreciate it all right good night now good night all right and uh, yes you know just it doesn't have to be Hispanic and you don't have to be just one way or the other here in the city and and this is the thing is that even uh, for uh, you know uh, Anglos like me okay this is important to uh, me as a community right in knowing and passing along these things so that it is for all of us here okay and there are a lot of you know the history has been forgotten and it does need to be i don't know rewritten but maybe uh that we we dig into it a little bit deeper and that there are other narratives i think maybe is the important thing well and i think as you look um forward to the future um as we discussed a lot of us here we have indigenous ancestry we just don't know um, you have the, the Europeans that came to this country um, and um, basically subjugated a, a whole group of people. And in many cases, uh, languages were lost. And um, a culture, cultural uh, way of life changed for a lot of people. Um, but we also had that part where there was the commingling, the intermarriages, you know, here in Mexico with the Spanish and the indigenous population that brought on a whole other thing and then even if we look at the united states that we see um a lot of the cherokee uh, nation married into a lot of the english that came and settled there uh there in, in the ozark mountains and so we're seeing um as we move forward a lot of the intermarriages that are now taking place and so it's important to keep those things uh, because we, we never know when this, when Spanish right. may be a dying language <laughs> and the culture may be a dying culture. So I think it's it's important to, to try to keep those things and to make sure that that these things survive for for you know, the for the culture. Just as a correction, there the Cherokee were in the Appalachian, the Appalachian Mountains, I'm not sorry, the Ozarks. Yeah. But uh, uh, that was the uh, oh different tribe but uh, I'll, I'll come back to that one um, so you're you're correct in that this the intermarrying and uh, the uh, you know and this is you know all through the settlement it wasn't always you know uh, one against the other you know in so many ways mm -hmm. and so you know as we're trying to find out our ancestry and our history you know and then um also it's trying to resurrect here in the community uh for the native americans you know because there wasn't always that respect for the remains you know that we have now well you, you, you even now you see it look at all the indigenous people in in mexico and the indigenous people and in, even in south america and even here in our own country where they're trying so hard to savage and save, save the things that they have. You know, we've got them saying, don't build this pipeline, and we don't want it to come through our land. And here we have all these people, federal government sometimes, and sometimes the uh, larger corporations that say, no, we got we got to do this. And there's that constant that constant fight, that, that, that pull, and, and, that, and that they not wanting to give. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I most certainly can understand and see you know where she's coming from well 
it was good to have uh, our, our talk tonight uh, again. The uh, if you go down to uh, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, and uh, you can get your kids in uh, uh, on the program. And no, I wish I knew where the hall was at. On it's on Patton it's Street. On Pat it's on um, just off of I thirty five. Railroad and Patton. Yeah, I think that's it. So uh, so go down to the hall and uh, get uh, you know going ahead and get signed up or go to the the website. You can still do that. Uh, uh, as well for the Indigenous Cultures Institute. So um, just one more uh, way that we're trying with the show to get you involved and to get more people uh, you know, involved from the community to talk about our history and talk about our stories. And uh, uh, we got uh, just another minute. What, what story came to you from your dad this week? Kathy. Well, you know, we were, we were we were just talking about uh, my dad right before right before I came down here, and uh, my my sister was saying that um, she uh, was a little um, taken aback because she had had a conversation with someone who um, was talking about my dad and was telling telling a story and and said that they had never met someone like my dad because my dad was so charismatic. <laughs> And the way that he told the story. And so I think that for myself and uh, my brothers and sisters, that's the one thing that we like. You know, we got a lot of things from my dad, tenacity, and you know, the thing to survive and move forward. But none of us are able to tell a story the way that he, you know, yeah. that he tells it. And so someone just said, you know, your, your dad just had charisma, you know. And so I think that's it, that I'm trying to find that charisma, but it just, it's just, I think it was just a natural thing for him. It was natural. And that's why I really, I always wanted to get him down here <laughs> in the studio. To, and this is where if you have anyone that has that charisma, that's a storyteller, please, please, we want to get him here in the studio. And, uh, you know, to tell these stories, it's just, you know, just to, to remember and, you know, just the, the natural storyteller. So uh, uh, that is because uh, he, he did. He was a good storyteller. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see how he could take a story and um, turn it into something, take nothing and make it into something. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, but, but, you know, you, you, you know what you're missing when you've had that and then it's just not there anymore. You know, you go from this house that was so full of, of laughter and just um, liveliness to just this quiet, dead space now. All right. Well, Kathy, Laura, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, we want to say a special thank you to uh, uh, Emmy Aguilar uh, from the Indigenous Cultures Institute. And uh, thank you for calling in and talking with us. And still working on next week. Uh, we'll let you know, uh, but tune in uh, next Sunday from 7 until 8 o'clock, uh, Raices and uh, uh, anything else you want to say to close us out here tonight? I, I think that's pretty much it. You guys have a good Sunday evening, and we'll talk to you all next Sunday. All right. You have been listening to Racist, your connection every Sunday night from 7 until 8 o'clock to hear those stories, to hear those connections here locally in San Marcos and the area. Good night.